This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, everybody. Man, it is so good to be with you today. If you're brand new with us, welcome to New Life. My name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and I have the privilege of guiding us for the next 35 minutes or so as we continue to connect with God. And one of the things that you'll want to know about our church right up front that you might not believe yet, but we believe this with everything in our core. We believe that God loves you so much that Jesus actually knocked down every barrier that would keep you from encountering God. And so as a church, we want to do everything we can to knock down any barriers that would keep you from encountering a God who loves you, who has plans for your life, and has great things in store for you. And one of the ways that we knock down those barriers is we try to get everybody on the same page at the very beginning of every message. And we do that by all of us grabbing our programs. So when you walked in, you should have received one of these. Go ahead and grab it. Inside are two things you're going to want to get us all on the same page and keep those barriers down. Because whether it's your first time here or your hundredth time here— Boy, we believe that we're all on this journey together. So if you want to go ahead and grab this Start Here card, it's our communication card, and just put your name on it and your email address on it. I won't ask you to do anything with this yet, but if I've earned your trust over the next 35 minutes or so, I'll just ask you a little bit later when some baskets are passed to drop this in the basket. And this is simply a connection card. It's a way for you to connect with us, with anything you want to know about the church, what we're doing in our city or around the world. And it's a great way for us to stay connected to you uh, because we're praying that as you take this journey with us, that there are going to be times when you're going to want to take some next steps with God. And boy, we want to be the church that partners with you to take those next steps. So go ahead and get that ready. And then you can grab your teaching notes. They've got the Bible story we're looking at today. They've got some fill in the blanks. And then on the back, I'm going to give us an opportunity to to, uh, take some next steps in the things we're learning throughout this week. But you're going to need those notes in order to do that. So you might want to grab those notes and just start jotting down some thoughts and taking that with you this week. As you get all that ready, uh, I want to tell you about a time when someone, someone gave me a leadership tip that at the time didn't mean anything to me. But then once I got married, I realized how true this person was because we realized a lot about ourselves in the context of marriage. And here's how it started out. I was, I believe I was 24 and I was walking through the jungles of Costa Rica. And that's just a fun way to start a story, walking through the jungles of Costa Rica. So I was on a mission trip and the president of this missions organization was walking with me. And he was this big, larger than life leader, kind of take every mountain. And as we're walking, he said, Kevin, you're a good young leader. But here's what I want you to remember. As a leader, your greatest strengths, if they go unchecked, can also be your greatest weaknesses. And that that stuck with me. I, I didn't exactly know what he meant, but he said your greatest strengths, if unchecked, could become your greatest weaknesses. And then I got married and I learned exactly what that meant. And here's why. One of my great strengths is I love vision. I love moving forward. I love uh, seeing where we are and believing in where we could go. Part of that means I love looking at our current situation, whether it's in your life or in our church or in an organization, and seeing what I like to call growth areas, you know, potential areas for growth, and then saying, here's a growth area, and here's how we can move forward. Well, when I got married, I saw a lot of growth areas in my marriage and in my spouse that I thought, well, we could really, we could move forward and take some new ground in these areas. Yeah, I know. It's stupid. Some of the wives are looking at me. Some friends back here just celebrated 45 years of marriage. She's just shaking her head like this. I know. I know. Nine years later, I know. Well, here's what happened. About a year in, Maria, my wife, says to me, Kevin, I feel like you're constantly beating me down. I feel like you're constantly telling me what needs to be done, where we need to go, how our marriage could be better. 
and here's the thing. I, I looked at her, and I thought to myself, and I might have said it. I might have said it. Well, all those things are true, right? Because they, they were true. But here's the problem. All my vision, all my where we could go, all my next steps, all my take the next hill, in all of that, here's the thing I forgot. I forgot to celebrate where we were. I forgot to celebrate that my wife is a great woman, that she's a saint. You guys deal with me for 30 minutes a week. She deals with me all the time. Okay, she is a a wonderful woman. She's a great mother. She's a great wife. God has done so much in her right now. And I forgot about the now, and I focused on what needed to be done. And my greatest strength became one of my biggest liabilities. And today, as we wrap up this series, I'm so excited because I want to talk about uh, what it looks like to be that kind of a person, a take the next hill, uh, we always need to grow, we always want to improve, being that kind of person who manages the tension of having a vision to move forward, but also being able to be present in the moment. And I want to ask you, have you ever had a, sp- a boss like that, uh, who was constantly saying, here's where we need to go, what we need to do, last year's goals become this year's benchmarks, and we're constantly moving forward? Or maybe you have a spouse like that who's constantly telling us where we could go and how we could improve and what's next. Have you ever had a friend like that? We don't seem to ever be able to be in the moment. We're always talking about what has to happen next. We're looking at one of the greatest leaders in the ancient world. His name is Nehemiah, and we find his story in the pages of the Bible. But I would say that you can put him next to any of the great leaders in the ancient world, both recorded in the Bible or outside of the Bible. And Nehemiah stacks up as one of, if not the best leader that I've ever seen. I mean, he puts on a clinic in leadership in the book of Nehemiah. And that's what we've been studying in this unwavering series. We've been saying this from the very beginning. Leadership is influence. And when I look around this room, I know that we all influence someone. Our spouse, our kids, our coworkers, our employees— Uh, our classmates, people that we volunteer with, we are all influencers, and therefore we are all leaders. And what I want to do is I want to talk about what Nehemiah did to manage this tension of being, he had great vision, of being a visionary leader who was also able to slow down in the moment so that he didn't steamroll the people he was trying to lead. Here's Nehemiah's backstory. I'll give you a shot, but you can get onto our website, newlifepetaluma.org, and you can hear this entire series from the very beginning. But here's kind of the last chapter of it. Here's a snapshot about where we've been. Nehemiah was living and serving under uh, one of the major powers in the ancient world, the king of Babylon, when he heard about his hometown of Jerusalem, that the walls had been destroyed and the people left vulnerable. And they'd been destroyed for over a hundred years, and it was getting worse and worse and worse. And so Nehemiah went to Jerusalem, and he rallied the troops, and he cast a big vision to rebuild the wall. And he did in 52 days what no one was able to do in over 150 years of trying. He helped the people to rebuild the wall. And we're going to pick up his story in Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 73, where the wall has been rebuilt. They've done a great thing, but there's still a lot to do. And this is what Nehemiah says. By the way, did you know that there was a verse 73 in the Bible? It just keeps on going forever, doesn't it? My goodness. Verse 73 says this, The priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the musicians, the temple servants, along with certain people from the rest of the Israelites, after they had finished building the wall, they went out and they settled in their own towns. So they came together in Jerusalem for this major wall project. The wall was built. They went out to their own towns. And then in chapter 8, verse 1, it says this, When the seventh month had come, the Israelites settled in their own towns, and then all of the people gathered together as one 
in the square before the water gate. It was the, it was the meeting area in Jerusalem. And they told Ezra, who was the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses. And the law of Moses was the first five books of what we know as the Old Testament of the Bible. And Ezra is the religious leader to Nehemiah's political leader. They're kind of the one-two combo. We've got Nehemiah leading politically. We've got Ezra leading religiously. So this is where Ezra comes onto the scene. And he came out and he brought the book of Moses. Verse 2. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly— which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand, basically kids above a certain age who could understand what was happening. And then he read the book aloud from daybreak till noon, which I find so encouraging. Because listen, sometimes we think when I'm preaching for 30 or 35 minutes, it's like, wow, he's kind of taking a long time. He preached from daybreak to noon. Okay, you guys got it good. You got it really good. As he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of all the people— And the people listened attentively from daybreak to noon. He had it good. Verse 4. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform that was built just for this occasion. Beside him on his right stood uh, some priests and religious leaders. On his left stood a whole bunch more. Verse 5. He opened the book, and all the people could see him because he was on this high platform. They're trying to give us a picture of what's happening right now. And Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and they responded saying, Amen, Amen, praise God. Thank you, God, for what you're doing. And then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. It was an act of humility. So they're praising him with hands in the air. It's like a huge worship service for all that God had done in these 52 days. And then they're lowering themselves down to humble themselves before the Lord. See, there's a lot going on in this story. They just finished doing a miraculous work that no one had been able to do for generations before them in rebuilding the wall. But there was still a lot to be done. They had infrastructure to reset up. They had an education system they had to redo. They had a religious system they had to reinstate. They had to get the people that had been scattered after the wall was broken for this 150 years to come back to Jerusalem. The 52 days was the beginning, but they probably still had decades of work to do. And this is where a lot of of driven visionary leaders would say, all right, that job is done. Now let's go on to the next thing. Let's take the next hill. We've got more work to do. But notice what Nehemiah and Ezra do. They don't go on to the next thing. In fact, they pause in the moment to celebrate. Not just the completion of the gate, but the fact that this is one of many things that God is doing. They celebrate in stages, and they throw a party. And, and we'll be totally honest, this, this is an odd party. I'm guessing none of us did this for 4th of July. It's a safe assumption. It's an odd party, but it's a party nonetheless. And they're celebrating these victories that are happening. And we get this because we do this with kids. Parents, we do this when our kids are small. We celebrate the small victories. We celebrate their first word. We celebrate their first step. We celebrate their first picture. It goes on the refrigerator. Not because they're overly artistic or their vocabulary is so amazing. Uh, Not because we think they're going to be the next Olympic runner. We celebrate because we know that there's the importance of celebrating in stages. And we know that great accomplishments happen one step at a time. And so with kids, we celebrate in stages. God, in fact, celebrates in stages. If you go all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis, we're told that when God created the world, he actually paused, not at the very end, but in stages along the way to celebrate. 
It said that God made certain things, and then he paused and said, that's good. That was God throwing a party. The next day, he, he created some more, and then he paused. He said, that's good. Oh, that's, ooh, look at that. Then he made these animals. He said, oh, that's the platypus. He's like, did you see that, Jesus? Yeah. He's like, that's good. That's good. And then he made, he made fruit, and he celebrated that. I get that. Then he made vegetables. I don't know why he celebrated that, but he did. He celebrated fruit and vegetables. He said, that is good all along the way. And then at the end of God creating the world, he throws a major party because he created people. Because God loves you. He loves people. They were the kind of the jewel in the crown of God's creation. And he didn't just say it was good. He paused and he said, boy, look at, look at her. Look at, look at him. Look at them. They're very good. But I loved it. I was, I was reading through, through Genesis this week that God doesn't simply wait to celebrate at the end. He could have. He's God. God instituted the world in a way that we would celebrate things in stages. I remember in high school playing soccer, and I talk about playing high school and soccer quite a bit. By the way, Women's World Cup Finals today. Can I get a, let's do this. Come on. I see some friends back there who like some World Cup. I love me some soccer. But here's the thing you have to know about me, because you might be tempted to think, I'll bet you were pretty good if you played in high school. In fact, I was not that good. I played on a mediocre team, and I was a mediocre player. In fact, the two years before I joined varsity, my junior and senior year, I was on the varsity team. The two years before that, our team had not won one single league game. We were that team that the other schools said, well, we know we can at least win one game because we're going to play Glendora. Okay, that was, that was our team. Well, over the couple years that I was on varsity, we slowly got better. And we ended our senior year, we went 500. That means we won half of our league games. You better believe we celebrated that mediocrity. Okay. Now, our goal would have been to win league. And in fact, 16 years later, I just found out Glendora High School Soccer did win league. It's very exciting. It's very exciting for me. But I was thinking about this. 16 years is too long to wait to celebrate Glendora High School Soccer. In fact, if I drove down to Glendora and I went to Round Table Pizza and I went in with the soccer guys with my Letterman's jacket on from 99, I went in to celebrate with them 16 years later, that would just be incredibly awkward. 16 years was too long to wait. We had to celebrate the small victories along the way. And so we celebrated mediocrity because mediocrity was the best we could do. And it was a, a far cry better than horrible, which is what we had been before. And here's the thing about great leaders, and I've said this from the beginning, you have every capacity to be a great leader. So when I say great leaders, I'm talking about you. I'm talking about us. Great leaders understand the importance of celebrating along the way. We celebrate along the way. Everybody gets the importance of celebrating in the beginning. That's why we celebrate when we hire someone new at work. That's why we celebrate at a birth. That's why we celebrate at a wedding. And lots of people understand the importance of celebrating at the end, when we hit our goals at the end of the quarter, when we give our Christmas bonuses. Good leaders understand we celebrate at the beginning and at the end. But great leaders understand that we celebrate small milestones along the way. And that's what Ezra and Nehemiah are doing in chapter 7 and chapter 8. I want to pick the story back up because the celebration starts out great, but it goes sideways really quickly. Notice what it says in uh, verse 7. 
It says the Levites, and there's a whole list of them, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. Basically, the religious leaders, the Levites, went out and started giving sermons to the people about the law, those first five books of the Bible, while they were sitting there. They read from the book of the law, making it clear and giving it meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor and Ezra the priest, remember these are our two central figures, he was the teacher of the law, along with the Levites, instructed the people, saying, This is the day that the Lord your God has made. It's holy. Do not mourn and weep. Here's why he said that. Because somewhere in the mix of this party, all the people had began weeping as they listened to the law. Nehemiah said to him in verse 10, Go, enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Right now, some of you are saying, He's the best boss in the world. It's Margarita Friday. Enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing because this day is holy to the Lord. Do not grieve anymore for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I want to talk to us for a second, especially if you're the kind of person who knows that you tend to have Eeyore tendencies. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to start off looking at how great things are if you have your tendencies, but then quickly turn into how far you still have to go. We all have that at least a little bit in our lives. And we start out calling it discernment. Well, I just know what needs to be done. I know what needs to happen. But how quickly it turns into discouragement and frustration and anxiety and depression when we're constantly focused on what isn't happening, what's not being done. And that's exactly what's happening here. This nation, these Israelites, They start off celebrating God for this miracle that he had done in their lives. They had a faith awakening in their community. In fact, before the rebuilding of the wall, there was kind of a spiritual deadness in Jerusalem. But as the wall was being rebuilt, their faith was being rebuilt along with it. And by the time the wall is rebuilt, they're back in love with God. They want to follow God. The thing is, they don't know who God is because it's been 150 years since they've truly been following him. So they say, would you open up the Bible to the Levites? Open up the Bible and tell us about God because we want to follow this God. And and the, the Levites start preaching these sermons. This is what God says in his law. This is what the standard of holiness looks like. This is what it means to follow follow God. And they're listening and their eyes are getting bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden, as the priests and Levites are reading, the people start to cry because they realize how far they have to go to measure up to God's standards. So what starts off as a celebration of what God has been doing in their midst turns into a a sob fest. It's like they just watched the Folgers commercial or a Lifetime movie. They're all bawling their eyes out. I want to pull over to the side of the road for a second. We're talking about leadership, but boy, this principle applies so deeply to our faith. So can we talk about faith for a second, and then we'll get back to leadership as we wrap our series up together. Do you ever find yourself, as a follower of God, thinking something like, I thought by now I would have overcome, and you can fill in that destructive pattern that's still hurting you. I thought by now I would have been further along. I thought by now I wouldn't still be screaming. I wouldn't still be angry. I wouldn't still uh, have those thoughts. I wouldn't still have those lying tendencies. I thought by now I would have overcome that. Have you ever found yourself thinking, I'm not nearly as good of a Christian as, and you can fill in the blank? Have you ever found yourself thinking that? How easy it is for us 
to forget about all the things God has done in our lives and only focus on all the things that have to get done. When was the last time you stopped and said, thank you, God, for all that you've done in my life? That's an honest question. Can you think about the last time you just stopped and said, thank you? Thank you, God, for all that you've done. I know I'm not there yet, but I'm sure a heck of a lot further than I was when I started. Thank you, God, for all that you've done in my life. When was the last time you looked at your spouse and said, you know what? Our kids, our marriage, our money, it might not be perfect, but it sure is a heck of a lot further than it was when we started this journey. Thank you, God, for where you brought us. See, Jesus tells us that we have a very real enemy to our souls, an enemy to our faith, and he wants to lie to us, and he wants to twist the truth, and he wants to say to us, yeah, sure, God might have done those great things in your past, but look at how much further you still have to go. You'll never get there. You'll never be there, which leads us to be discouraged and hopeless and leaves us weeping and wailing like the people did in the book of Nehemiah. And could it be, could it be that God would rather say to you, look at how far you've come, yeah, I know. I know where we're going. We'll get there together. But look at how far you've come. I keep saying in this series, God is the perfect, the perfect leader. Because God knows us. He loves us. And that's big. Great leaders don't just know the people that they lead, but they love them. God knows us. He loves us. He has a vision for our lives, where we can go. He knows how to get us from here to there. And God is a great leader because God gently and humbly corrects us when we get off track, like a loving, heavenly parent. And did you know that God also celebrates every step of the journey with us? There's this little gem in the book of Zephaniah that my wife showed me a number of years ago that, boy, I've probably read over and totally missed it. And I know a lot of us, we're big fans of the book of Zephaniah, so you probably know this one already. But just to refresh our memories, is that that really in there? It's in there. It's in there. (laughs) Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17 says this, The Lord your God is with you. He's the mighty warrior who saves. And he will take great delight in you. When was the last time you stopped and recognized that God is actually taking great delight in you right now? He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Isn't that a great picture of God? We think about singing as something we do going up to God, but have you ever stopped to recognize that God is fond of you? that God likes you, that God is actually rejoicing over you right now, not because of how far you have to go, but because of how far you've already come. And here's the great thing about God. He loves us, and he knows where we are now, and he loves us where we are now, and he celebrates that. And then like a great, loving, perfect Heavenly Father, he walks with us to where he wants us to go. And if you're you're here and you have Eeyore tendencies, let me just ask you again, when was the last time You just stopped and you out loud, you said, thank you, God, for where you've already brought me. Thank you, God, for where you've brought me. I'm not there yet, but I sure am a heck of a lot further than I was when I started. See, that's what's happening with the Israelites when they hear this 
story, when the priests start reading the Bible, they start out celebrating God for where he's brought them at this point. But as they read, they lose sight of what God has done in them now, and all they can see is what still has to be done. And they start weeping and wailing. And Ezra sees this, and he knows what has to happen. He says, guys, stop crying. Stop crying. Go out. Have some delicious food and some sweet drinks. It's burritos and margaritas for the whole community. You're thinking, that's a boss right there, baby. I knew I liked this guy. It's true. He he says, I want you to celebrate today. This is a good day. Yeah, there's more to do, but what if we celebrate what's already being done? I love the stories I hear. I I, I hear them from men and women, but there's, there's one I love hearing from guys in particular. I'll have guys come up to me maybe four, five, six, seven months after they start coming to new life. And they'll say to me something to the effect of, Kevin, if you would have said to me a year ago that I would ever set foot inside a church, I'd tell you you're crazy. I'd tell you you're crazy. But here I am. And sometimes they say, my spouse brought me, my kids brought me, a friend brought me, a coworker brought me. You did the service project in the city and I was there. And I say, here I am. And now I'm coming to church like two or three times a month. And I'm not, I'm not reading my Bible like a half hour a day, but I bought that version app. And I look at the verses every day, and I'm like learning things about God. And I've, I've met a couple of guys, and we're kind of talking about life, and some of the stuff I don't really share with people. You know what they're saying? They're saying, I might not be there, but I'm celebrating here. And when they say I'm not perfect, I just want to smile at them and say to them, do you realize what God's doing right now? Yeah, of course we have a ways to go, but boy, let's celebrate where we are. And then their wives come up to me oftentimes without their husbands knowing it, and they say, I've been praying for him for years, and now he actually wants to come to church. And I want to say to him, did you tell him how proud you are? Did you tell him how proud you are? They celebrate in the moment. Nehemiah celebrates in the moment. Good leaders celebrate at the beginning. Good leaders celebrate at the end. Great leaders celebrate all along the journey. So three questions as we wrap up this series. Who? Who can we celebrate this week? I put time on it because the truth is we forget if we don't do it. But here's the thing. If you, if you don't like taking my advice, just wait a week. Everyone will forget what I said anyway. And you can say, who can I celebrate in two weeks? That's fine. That's fine. You can make, make it your own. Who can I celebrate this week? And I gave you a list so you could write that out. Who in your company could you celebrate this week? Which friends could you celebrate this week? Just something small to celebrate them. How about your kids? Which one of your kids can you celebrate this week? I'm guessing you only have one spouse. So you could just put their name in. That'd be easy if you're married. If you have more than one spouse, God likes where you are, but you got a long way to go. Okay? <laughs> just leave it there. Who can you celebrate this week? How about this? What can you celebrate this week? What can we celebrate this week? Let's talk marriage for a second because, boy, this is, this is the leadership lesson I learned. We don't celebrate at the end of a marriage. Don't be that guy that says, honey, I told you I loved you when we got married. I'll tell you if anything changes. That's not the kind of husband you want to be. Ain't got an amen. She, he got an elbow. What can you celebrate in your spouse this week? What is he doing? That's just, it's, it's a step. It's a step. It doesn't have to be earth shattering, just a step. Honey, honey, you nailed putting that toilet seat down. Good job. (laughs) Nailed it. Nailed it. How about your kids? 
what can we celebrate this week in our kids? And I'm talking about our grown kids or our kids who are still at home with us. What can we celebrate this week? It's easy to see what our kids aren't doing. What can we celebrate that they are doing? Clean their room, set a kind word. Remember, what gets rewarded gets repeated when it comes to leadership. So what do you want repeated? Reward it. How about our employees? What can we celebrate with an employee or a coworker this week? They learned a new system. They got on a different database. They got a new client. They had a good attitude. They came into work on Tuesday morning and they weren't hungover. I mean, what can you celebrate this week? It's small stuff, but let's celebrate the good stuff. And then the third one is this. How can we celebrate this week? What is their celebration currency? And this goes all the way back to week one of the series where we said that great leaders know the people we lead and we love the people we lead. The more we get to know the people we lead, we'll see how they like to be celebrated. Some people like to be celebrated with a bonus, a little extra allowance, a bonus uh, check. Others, it's an encouraging word in front of people around them when they do something great. By the way, uh, I know I saw my friend Denise here today. Uh, Denise and my friend Alicia and our student pastor Jake, they led, and I know about a hundred other people in us worked at the fireworks booth this past week, but those guys logged hundreds of hours combined at the fireworks booth. They were the point people, Denise and Alicia and Jake. And because of their hard work and with your partnership, I just got some information. We raised just over, and it's a rough estimate, but just over $8,000 for our students. Isn't that exciting? Because of their leadership. And I see, I see Denise, she's there. Denise, give them a little wave. Come on. She's like, this is not my currency. Maybe it's FaceTime. Maybe someone wants to FaceTime with you. If you're the boss, give them a little FaceTime. That's how they want to be celebrated, or our kids, or our spouse. Take one of the kids out for ice cream. Take the spouse out. If you're married to me, buy me hot tamales, Maria, or whatever. (laughs) Maybe it's a party. Grab those extra burgers and and dogs and have a celebration party for somebody. Who can we celebrate? What can we celebrate? How can we celebrate? Great leaders don't wait till the end of the quarter or at the wedding. They celebrate along the way. And I want to talk as we wrap our time up together. If you're here this morning and this whole idea of a God who celebrates you is a new idea for you, I can understand. Boy, a lot of us, either we weren't raised with a church background or we were raised in a church where God was this angry, punitive, distant deity who was just there to get us when we're bad and to keep us in line. And guilt was a main motivating factor for everything we did in faith. And if you're here today and and that's your understanding of God, could I humbly say that that is not the God of the Bible? The God of the Bible is the God who celebrates over you. And he showed us how much he loves us. We celebrated it at communion. That he left heaven and came to earth. That Jesus died on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could be forgiven. God left heaven where, where, where God had created this entire world. this beautiful. He left heaven and came to earth lived a perfect life, and then paid the penalty for our sins so that we could be forgiven because he celebrates and he loves us. And he's not an angry judge waiting to hurt us. He's a perfect, loving, powerful, present heavenly father waiting to lead us and partner with us. And if you've never met God like that, I would just say, I don't think you've ever actually met God. And I want to give you a chance to put your hands, your, your life in the hands of that God. 
to say yes to that God and to follow him because that's the God of the Bible and that's the God who promises to never leave you on this journey of life, but to lead you well every step of the way. So I'm going to pray right now for all of us as we wrap up this series, and then I want to give you a chance to respond to God. If you're ready to commit your life to God, saying, God, I want to follow you because I'm coming to know you in a whole new way, and I want to take this journey with you. If you're ready to make that decision, I'm going to have you repeat a prayer after me. It's just a prayer of commitment where you would say to God, yes, God, I'm done living on my own. I want to live with you and for you. And we know that God honors that prayer every single time. And you can whisper it where you're sitting when you repeat it after me or just say it in your head. That's fine because God knows and he hears and he'll respond to you 100% of the time. So would you join me? Let's close our eyes and let's all pray together. Lord, as we wrap up this series, I want to say thank you. Thank you for a picture of a great leader in Nehemiah. Thank you that we've been able to learn from his, uh, the clinic he puts on in leadership. Thank you, God, that ultimately his good leadership is just a reflection of you being the greatest leader, a leader who we can trust because you know and love and care for us and you have great plans. Thank you, God, that you are the ultimate leader and we can follow you anywhere. For my friends who tend to struggle with Eeyore tendencies, would you help us to celebrate all that you've done today? Celebrate. Look back in our lives and see how far you've brought us. Would you help us to celebrate with you today because you are dancing and singing over us? For my friends in this room who tend to always be going and pushing and moving to the next thing, would you help us to slow down and celebrate people along the way so that we don't accidentally steamroll the very people that we're trying to influence? So that we don't miss one of the great gifts of being a leader, which is celebrating the people that we lead. As we continue to pray, if you're here and you're ready to, to start a relationship with God, to commit yourself to him, you can repeat this simple prayer after me. It's not, a, it's not a magic spell or a magic chant. It's simply an honest prayer to God saying, God, I want to live with you and for you. If you're ready to make that decision, you can repeat these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me. And I believe that you gave your life to pay the penalty for my sin. And today I say yes to you. Would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And would you show me what it looks like to walk with you every day forward from this day on, even as I walk into eternity? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.